Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast, the French Wars of Religion, 1562 to 1598. The French Wars of Religion of the 16th century was a series of conflicts that afflicted the Kingdom of France between the years 1562 and 1598, fought between, on the one side, Roman Catholics, and on the other, Reformed Protestants. The most serious internal crisis in France before the famous Revolution of 1789, and the second deadliest European religious war of pre-modern Europe behind the Thirty Years' War, it has been estimated that up to three million people perished as a result of violence, famine and disease. Although the war was religious in nature, it was also a power struggle between the powerful, noble families of France. In some ways, the French Wars of Religion was an old story of noble families fighting each other for power, a typical Game of Thrones. The big difference in this case was the influence of religion, which made the passions between the two sides all the more intense. It was more difficult to find reconciliation than with a simple power struggle, for the conflict was about personal identity and deeply felt convictions. The conflict was not just among nobility, but between the general masses, who were fearful for the salvation of their soul if they betrayed their beliefs. To add to the intensity of feeling, Christendom was being, at the time, overrun by the Ottoman Turks, who were then advancing into both Central Europe and the Mediterranean. The fear of Islamic aggression made it all the more important, in the eyes of God-fearing Christians, to affirm the right kind of Christianity. On New Year's Day, 1515, a young new king ascended to the French throne. Francis I was full of youthful exuberance, matching the state of his kingdom, rich, vibrant and confident. Barely two generations before, the French people had been suffering greatly from both a series of plagues and also a long period of conflict known as the Hundred Years' War. In many areas, notably the northwest and southwest, many villages had been wiped out and much cultivated land had gone to waste. From the 1450s, however, the population of the kingdom again began to rise. Local landlords helped organise the recovery, a difficult task since the land had become overgrown and old boundaries had vanished so that people no longer knew where patrimonies lay. 
and there was also a shortage of labour, so that lords were obliged to offer substantial inducements to settlers on their land, helping to improve the lot of the average peasant. The greater independence of peasant families also helped productivity, as they had a keener incentive than the oppressed serfs of previous generations to produce foodstuffs for the markets. By the time of France's accession, urban reconstruction was also well underway in France. Paris, by far the largest city in the country, had recovered its population of before the Black Death and was continuing to grow rapidly. The population of Lyon, Rouen, Bordeaux and Toulouse were into the tens of thousands and smaller towns experienced a similar increase, thanks not only to natural growth but also to immigration from the countryside. The most successful merchants came to enjoy great wealth, especially in towns such as Lyon, where international trade flourished. Close to the Italian and Swiss frontiers, the city of Lyon in particular could be seen a colourful blend of Flemish, Swiss, German and Italian merchants, attracted by its busy fairs and its expertise in the spheres of banking and manufacturing. At the same time, a growing class of artisans were able to earn enough to get by without the constant worry of starvation, from which many previous generations had suffered. The annexation of the region of Provence in 1481 was highly significant for French trade in the Mediterranean, from which Marseille in particular had benefited, establishing links with ports in Italy, Spain, Rhodes and North Africa. The French Atlantic and northern ports had also recovered, and now engaged in active trade with England, Spain, the Netherlands and Scandinavia. France was largely self-sufficient in the basic necessities of life, including its most important commodity, grain. In this period, the consumption of wine greatly increased, as shown by the rapid expansion of vineyards and the growth in numbers of taverns. Wine was also exported, especially to England and the Netherlands. The same was true of salt, which was produced in marshes along the Mediterranean and Atlantic coasts. Mining was also actively encouraged, which in turn stimulated metallurgical industries. A large amount of the iron and steel produced was used to make weaponry, such as that used in France's involvement in the Italian wars described in previous podcasts. Another industry which was growing rapidly at the turn of the 16th century was printing. Pioneered by the craftsman Johannes Gutenberg in the German city of Mainz in 1450, print marked arguably the greatest advance in human communication since the advent of writing. The first press was set up in Paris in 1470. Already by 1500, more than 30 French towns had presses, and by 1515 there were more than 100 printing houses in Lyon alone. A new market for books was thus created, where reading came to be enjoyed beyond the small community of scholars to which it had previously been limited. Their circulation was also helped by the development of postal services from the reign of King Louis XI. The language used in most books was French, which started to replace Latin as a language of scholarly debate, and translations of the Bible started to become more widely available in the vernacular. Other languages and dialects, such as Occitanian and Picard, were not used nearly as often in print, but were still very widely spoken. 
In fact, despite the prestige of French as a written language, it would long remain to be spoken by only a minority of the French people for some time to come. So, all in all, the economy of France was flourishing. Agriculture had recovered from its previous crisis. The population was expanding, and trade, both domestic and international, was booming. However, around the middle of the 16th century, severe problems began to appear. Agricultural production was failing to keep pace with the needs of a fast-growing population. At the same time, a new economic problem emerged, namely inflation. This was brought about partly because of the increasing population outstripping resources, but was made worse by the flood of precious metals arriving in Europe from the newly discovered Americas. For the fortunate few who were commercially adept or just fortunate, inflation generated good profits, but for others, times became more difficult. Wages failed to keep pace with prices, causing a long-term reduction in the living standards of the lower orders of society for both the peasants and the urban poor. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Francis I's reign lasted for more than 32 years, from 1515 to 1547. He was the embodiment of a Renaissance prince, strong and handsome, enjoyed horse-riding and hunting, and was a great patron of the arts. He loved books, and in the course of his reign, built up one of the finest libraries in Europe, containing many rare manuscripts. During the troubles of the second half of the century, Frenchmen looked back to his reign with nostalgia and remembered him as a great figure. But later on, the king's reputation declined, as he was criticised by historians for devoting too much of his energies on women and war. Overall, though, today his reign is seen as mostly successful. In foreign affairs, France is one of the great players in European politics and internally France has achieved important financial reforms and centralised royal powers within his country. His reign also coincided with the beginning of the Reformation, a religious movement that began in German lands but also deeply affected France. According to tradition, in late October 1517, Martin Luther began the Reformation when he nailed a copy of his 95 Theses to the church doors of his hometown of Wittenberg in eastern Germany. 
Historians today believe this anecdote was later made up, but what is certain is that he sent a letter to his local bishop, Cardinal Albert, Archbishop of Mainz, with these theses. Luther almost certainly had no sense of the theological earthquake with which he was about to unleash on Christendom, as his statements were not exceptionally radical. They assumed many of the standard Catholic doctrines and were couched in terms of provoking scholastic debate rather than directly confronting authority. Nevertheless, in them Luther made clear his objections, in particular to the sales of indulgences. These were forms of remittance which Christians could purchase from the church to reduce the length of time they or their relatives would have to spend in purgatory. As a small flavour of the text, in Thesis 86 he wrote, quote, Why does the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest classes, build the Basilica of St Peter with the money of poor believers rather than with his own money? End quote. Cardinal Albert duly passed the theses on to the Pope in Rome, at that time Leo X. Meanwhile, printed copies of them circulated in Germany, thanks to the recent popularisation of the printing presses. The historian Diarmuid McCulloch, in his book Reformation, Europe's House Divided, writes that it was not the first time that the new medium of print had provoked a general debate, way beyond those who could actually read the pamphlets involved. That had happened over the previous decade, when European authorities had tried to put together a crusade against the Turks. However, the controversy which arose around Luther demonstrated that there had developed an independent public opinion. The big difference between 1517 and before, when other figures had made similar criticisms of the Church, was that it had become much easier and cheaper to distribute pamphlets. People from all levels of society were receptive to new ideas, which were able to spread faster than ever before, and traditional authorities found themselves unable to control the printing presses or spread of ideas. The repercussions for society and political structure were profound and took decades to resolve. They say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, and there are clear similarities between the printing press, a revolution of 500 years ago, and the age of the internet in which we live today, where new technology has, in a very short space of time, made it far easier to spread information, ideas and opinions, with still unknown repercussions for our modern age. The printing press revolution was enabled by two technologies, both of which originated in China. The first, the manufacture of paper, had become increasingly widespread in Europe since the 13th century. It was a much more easily and cheaply manufactured medium than reed-based papyrus or animal skins. The second revolution was the use of printing with movable type, which replaced the more crude technology of carved woodblocks. The problem with parchments, written by hand, was that once they were destroyed, they were gone forever, and might be the only copy of the text. Now instead, texts could far more easily be reproduced, and their information preserved. The effect of printing, writes Dermot McCulloch, was more profound than just being able to make books available more quickly. It affected Western Europe's underlying assumptions about knowledge and originality of thought. 
Quote, Before the invention of printing, a major part of a scholar's life was spent copying existing texts by hand, simply in order to have access to them. Now that printed copies of texts were increasingly available, there was less copying to do, and so there was more time to devote to thinking for oneself. That implications for scholarly respect for what previous generations had said. End quote. In addition, he continues, when before the priority was to avoid the physical destruction of a particular precious source, the prevailing attitude is to guard rather than spread knowledge. This also fosters a sense of decay in knowledge as in everything else, because copying knowledge from one manuscript to another is, in a sense, a form of corruption of the original. The print medium encouraged fresh new ideas, less deference to historical texts, but also engendered more optimism. Another change was a growing rate of literacy, since, with books more widely available, it became more worthwhile to learn to read. A growing section of society valued books for both knowledge and entertainment. A repercussion of this came from the fact that reading is generally a solo rather than communal activity. When sitting down quietly with a text, a reader can more easily reflect on what the writer is trying to say. This encouraged, when reading religious texts, a more inward-looking, personalised devotion than before, when a clergyman would read out a text and its interpretation to a group of people. This new interest in reading took off much faster in towns than in the country. Those most receptive to the ideas of Luther and other reformers were the well-educated laypeople, merchants, gentry and lawyers. They began to look down upon the more traditional forms of religious worship of the less well-educated with their old rituals and relics. The advent of the printing press happened to come soon after an important intellectual movement called humanism, in which old texts, especially from ancient Greece and Rome, were discovered and debated anew. One consequence was that people became more critical about the authenticity of ancient sources. In earlier centuries, monks would not infrequently forge documents for their own benefit or for the greater glory of God, but this would no longer do. A particularly notorious example of a revered text shown to be a forgery was the Donation of Constantine. This was a manuscript which claimed to be a grant by the 4th century Emperor Constantine I, giving the Pope sweeping powers throughout Christendom. In the mid-1400s, different scholars proved that the style of writing of the text was wrong for the 4th century, and could only have been written in the 8th, thus instantly demolishing one historical justification for papal authority. The authority, even of the Bible, or at least its translation, was even put into question. Medieval Western Christians knew the Bible almost exclusively from the 4th century Latin, the translation made by Jerome, the so-called Vulgate version. When the printed form of the Vulgate became more widespread, various errors in translation were discovered from the older 2nd century Greek version, known as the Septuagint when it was found that some of the most important theological ideas of the Church were based on mistranslations by Jerome of the original Greek, it was inevitable that new movements would rise to challenge the Church's claims as the authoritative interpreters of Scripture. 
and McCulloch suggests that this is one reason why the Latin West experienced a Reformation and the Greek-speaking lands did not. In 1518, the year after Luther's publication of the 95 Theses, there was still every chance for Luther and the church hierarchy to reconcile their differences. In October, a series of meetings was held between Luther and a representative from the Pope, Cardinal Cajetan. Luther hoped to find some agreement, but was unable. He refused to accept the cause for his unconditional submission to the authority of Rome, when that contradicted his profoundly held beliefs. Frustrated at the Church's lack of willing to listen to his views, he continued to try and promote his views. That led to the Pope issuing a bull of excommunication on him in 1520, and further confrontation when in early December of that year he burned the bell at the gates of Wittenberg, along with volumes of canon law, which were the foundations of papal administration in the church. Furious at what he felt as rejection of the urgent advice he was giving, Luther became more radical in his ideas and issued a series of pamphlets, increasingly polemic. The last chance for reconciliation was in 1521 at a large imperial conference called the Diet of Worms. It was held by the newly elected Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, who was a conscientious leader, anxious to fulfil the duty he felt of preserving the unity of Christendom. Setting aside papal protests, he decided to give Luther a formal hearing. Luther gave a speech outlining his views, spelling out his opinion that true religious conviction could be based only on scripture and reason, even if that meant open disagreement with the papal authorities. It was a brave and passionate plea to the emperor, and came deep from the heart. In later accounts of the speech were added the most famous words attributed to Luther, which, although not actually spoken, in many ways summed up well his readiness, come what may, to see what he truly felt. Quote, Here I stand, I can do no other. End quote. Having taken the night to make a decision, Charles acted more honourably than did his predecessor, Sigismund to Jan Hus of the Council of Constance the previous century. He honoured Luther's safe conduct while issuing an edict condemning him as a heretic. Luther went into hiding and continued to issue pamphlets, and also to make an important translation of the Bible. With or without Luther, the winds of religious change were blowing and the Reformation was underway. Various members of the lesser nobility rallied to Luther's message, and individual knights allowed their lands to become focal points for sympathisers. At the same time, several towns in Saxony, similarly inspired, introduced measures of church reform, as did in the south the imperial free city of Nuremberg. Also, at the same time as Luther was preaching his message, similar ideas were becoming popular in parts of Switzerland, most notably in the city of Zurich, and the leadership of the preacher Ulrich Zwingli, who was more radical and confrontational than Luther. Throughout German-speaking lands and beyond in places such as Poland, Lithuania, Bohemia, Hungary and Transylvania, support for Protestant ideas quickly spread.
My name is Card Wyatt, and you'll be listening to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. As ever, it's great to hear from you. You can write directly to me, Carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. Also check out the podcast's Facebook page, or its Twitter account, which is at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles. Be great if you enjoy the podcast to be able to give a review on iTunes. And one other thing you can do is to join up on Patreon.com, where subscribers receive some extra bonus episodes and receive the regular episodes a week before. So, thank you for listening to History of Europe Key Battles, and I hope you can join me next time for the second part of the story of the French Wars of Religion. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.